Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, you may have heard of this thing called personalization, a big, big trend across the marketing, media, technology sectors. And Gartner, the research company out of the US, penned a very provocative report late last year around personalization with a concerning stat for many, actually, and a controversial stat that said 80% of marketers will abandon their personalization efforts by 2025. Uh, It seems counterintuitive, is it? Well, we have an esteemed group with us today to talk about this personalization debate. Roger Slater, Head of Segments and Digital at City. Adam Good, Executive Director for Marketing Technology at WPP. He also runs, he's the lead on the MarTech Centre of Excellence at WPP under the new uh, boss that's come in, Jens Monsies. And, of course, John Bradshaw, Principal of Brand Traction, a regular for MI3. Roger, first. Roger, you've been outspoken uh, on some of the difficulties that the marketing and media sectors are, are having with technology and marketing technology. Uh, and marketers themselves. Before we get into some of your observations, which are prudent, this Gartner study and the stat, the stat specifically around 80% of marketers abandoning personalization, you're into it. Are you part of that statistic or what's your take on that? No, not part of the statistic. I don't, I don't see how that, look, if that bears out, I think the word I've heard used recently is that that's, that's the second coming of the apocalypse for, right. for marketing and for personalization. There is so much money currently invested in really good customer-based research that would indicate to us that over 80 or 85% of our own customers, so these are not the um, the new new customer, our current customer base. So City's existing customer base? Are saying they want personalization. They don't want to be treated like a number. We have verbatim research that we get from phone calls, or NPS and our, the traditional stuff that gets done where the thing that tips them to be loyal and remain loyal is personalized service and personalization. I think we've been poor, um, pushed down or fed this uh, notion that personalization is a tech problem, so therefore technology can solve it. And that's where I think we've been lost. I think that's where marketers, you know, in the modern era, maybe the last 10 years or so, um, have become fundamentally lazy. They haven't formed those great partnerships amongst their own ecosystem with agencies and tech vendors and actually taking responsibility for what they need to do. So do I believe that that statistic? It's hard not to believe something that's in print, but I would severely question why that number is so high. So you're not saying that there isn't a problem with personalization and its implementation, though. There is some struggles out there. It's just that this poll, this 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 Gartner poll of marketers, which said 80% are saying they're pulling back. That's the struggle. We don't have the details on the sample size, I guess, and we will talk to Gartner about that. But there is some, there, there is, is there or is there not some issues around uh, personalization? Yeah, I don't know that it's a sample size question. I think, I think let's define personalization and then figure out what the real problem is. Because from our point of view, um, we are not backing away from personalization and will never relinquish responsibility to embark on that as part of a fundamental strategy. But what I've done is I've brought in my agency partners, I've brought in my my tech vendors, I've brought in my uh, media buyers, I've actually put everyone around the same table and effectively 
um, put the customer at that table and said, how do we do a better job of making you feel like you're important, making sure that our service is on point and relevant and effectively that's personalization. Personalization is not one dimensional. It has to be multi-dimensional. We'll come back to some of what you've been doing, Roger. John Bradshaw, thoughts? I, I just think like we're hitting on exactly the issue here. Right? We're using the words marketing personalization, right? And we're not defining which bit of marketing and its broad complexity we're talking about and what type of personalization we're talking about. So saying that marketing personalization is bad is just way too much of a blanket term for it. There are huge chunks, I believe, of marketing personalization that are a total waste of money at the moment. But the stuff we're talking about here is absolutely critical to the success of, of City, right? And yeah. and that's definitely not going to go away. Banks and telcos and people like that have been trying to do that type of personalization for, well, probably as long as there have been banks and telcos, I would have thought. And they've now just got more data and technology to help them do that. Yeah. But yeah. you've got to get in the weeds a little bit on this stuff to understand where personalization good and personalization bad. And that's part of the problem. We've got, we've got too much data and too many tech options and no way of being able to sift through it. And we've been forced into a position where we've relied on that to do the job for us, marketing in inverted commas. But we've also been um, uh, distanced from our partners. And I'm talking about the agencies. You know, the, the work that um, Adam and the guys at WPP are doing is, is actually trying to step into this world where they become part of the solution, not just taking a brief to try and figure out whether it's the right solution or not. At the other end of the spectrum, right, you've then got a bunch of FMCG marketers hearing the hype about marketing personalization at that level and then blowing three, five, ten, fifteen million dollars on tech stack and realizing that doesn't really work in that segment for that type of you can't do FMCG brand building that way. That does it. And we've got to build our understanding of this stuff at a much subtler level than the beating people over the head with simple terminology. Adam Good, I know you uh, have some thoughts on, on the Gartner research uh, and on the broader personalization trend. What's your initial sense on, on, on the discussion so far? Hi, Paul, and thank you for the invitation to come along. I think the definition of personalization is something that we should probably discuss straight away. I, I mean, Gartner have one. They, have, they call it the process that creates relevant individual interaction between two parties designed to enhance the experience of the recipient. That sort of troubled me straight away. I mean, I, I think personalization as a general thought is tailoring an experience, sometimes communication, but it's the experience they're trying to create based on the data that they're about the individual the company holds. And I think that moves the process along uh, a little bit more. So, you know, 14% did seem tremendously low and it's not what we're seeing from our clients well at this the is moment. the statistic which gartner says uh, estimates that 14 percent of a marketer's budget has been allocated to personalization you think that's too low roger's shaking his head why why too low adam yeah i think it is too low i i think the, the increase in technology spend alone would would see that percentage a lot higher but then if you see the aspiration of clients in what they want to do from a media point of view, it is about personalization. The initial brief is about personalization. They want a relevant communication to a relevant target. That's what they're after. And as it moves to their own ecosystem, then a lot of personalization techniques start to happen once again. So as a spend and as um, a focus, it's got to be higher than that to start with. Well, if we look at MarTech budgets, for instance, Adam and uh, and Roger, the, I think it was Gartner's stats also that say 27% of 
a market as budget now is going to marketing technology. Now, that seems probably a little bit too high um, for some, maybe not. I, I don't think that's too high. I think it's it's going to be, um, you know, what fits for different businesses in terms of where they spend it. But the notion of personalization and that kind of definition and, and similar to Adam, I don't like it. It's very one way. It says I've got to get it right to you, the customer, and then the customer has this nebulous definition that I have to either assemble a whole bunch of data that I may or may not have access to or make an assumption around what that's supposed to be, and then you get to be able to say whether it was worth it or not. So it's it's a very benign definition to me which doesn't incorporate um, or support the notion of interaction. But to that other point that when you look at 14%, um, personalization is not just about um, the website or email or SMS. It's about your call center. It's about your chief financial advisor. It's about the people that run the concierge desk at the bottom of your building. Personalization, and this is when you start looking around, um, 83% of CEOs are now trying to get personalization pervasive through the entire organization. It's online and offline. So yeah, the 14%, if you're only doing that, then you're probably undercooking it and you might be part of the 80% that's going to back out of it because you can afford to. I want to get yeah. back to some conversations around what you're doing at WP, Adam, but I, I and and the uh, Roger made some interesting points about um, new partners repositioning themselves and, you, and you're right on that on that horse. Let's just get back firstly to what marketers are not doing right with their personalization or technology implementation. This is the big, we, we touched on it earlier. Roger, the, you, you see it across the marketing community amongst, amongst your peers that there are, there are problems there with least strategy and deployment. Yes, there are. And, and I think that as brands, businesses and, and marketing organizations inside a, a bigger business, we have in the past not taking responsibility for exactly that. Um, a tech vendor, you know, the, the, in order for a transaction to take place, you have to have something that I perceive a level of value in and then I'll buy it. But then to hold you responsible for how I use that and how I implement it and how I deploy it and how it works out through the rest of my organization, how can I hold you responsible for that? So I think we're, we're in a position now, and this comes back to a point that John made a little bit earlier on, that that we have to take responsibility for how we use technology. But that that kind of means there has to be a foundational level of um, communication and partnership and how you develop that. And not any one piece of technology is going to solve all your problems. And it's also never going to be the silver bullet. So once we've defined what personalization meant to us as a business and then how that's going to impact our growth, we brought our partners in. We brought our tech vendors in. We brought our agency um uh, and and tech uh, and implementation vendors because they were different, and then we figured out within the, the the evolution of these big agency brands, these big businesses that are now accumulating and supporting it. That's actually a, a wonderful evolution of this industry we've seen in the past five years because I can now go to one business and say, here's your Salesforce expert, here's your Adobe expert, here's your IBM or analytics expert, here's your media expert in one place, bring them all to the same table and say. Here's my problem. My problem is I need to drive a business forward. I need to be more relevant. I'm looking for market growth. I need to um, look at retention strategies, loyalty strategies, business strategies, acquisition strategies. I have invested in this technology or I'm going to invest in this technology. I'm not the smartest man in the room. So how are you guys going to help me that? And then by virtue of doing that, I can hold them accountable and then also apportion my investment to a scale. 
So I'm not going to pay $30 million straight up. I might pay five or 10 and then eventually get to the point. Usage of technology purchased is the biggest problem that tech vendors have at the moment is we buy 10 features. We spend two years trying to get two out of the door. Why don't we just start with the two? And you end up with email back at email again. And we end up back at email again. We've talked about this before, Roger, which is you took a big axe to your agency lineup. You you consolidated quite significantly with the number of partners you were you were working with. What from twenty or so down to what five? Yeah, we had we 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 literally had probably fourteen, or uh, we had a piece of every martech or ad tech possible, and we had about. 17, 15 to 17 different tech vendors and partners um, working through that and helping us support it. So aside from the administration costs of that and the complete dilution of this notion of personalization and customer engagement, um, we were just spending money and wasting time. So um, we, uh, we we're now down to fundamentally four um, partners, um, as supporters within that framework, um, four key ones. There are a few little fragmented bits and pieces around some of the events. Uh, and other engagements that we run. And we're down to two fundamental pieces of technology. And what are they? Uh, we do use Adobe and we use Salesforce. And I think this is part of when when you bring them together is, is being very clear around best in breed um, at that particular point in time. And there's a whole bunch of admin and, and, and around technical uh, exposure to p- potential technical debt or equity and splitting renewal cycles so they don't all arrive at the same time. So that was a major piece. But Adobe's got a got a pretty good analytics platform, and 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 it's Adobe and not Google, which is a different conversation we can have. And that's Sal- another that's another hour. That's another hour. And then you've got Salesforce, who do actually have some pretty good kit, you know, and and they are embarking on a development roadmap where the customer and being myself uh, are actually included in the development of that. So we we use both, and that's that's strategically important and imperative. But they're also really good at different things. Yeah, I think. I think the industry has changed dramatically in the last 10 years. Agencies have been using data for some time. I mean, it's a digital economy world that clients are moving to. More and more businesses moving online. They do have to have capabilities uh, internally. But it's something that we've looked at at WPP in our centre of expertise to have people that can work with clients on the pre-sales, on their renewals of their licence and their technology, doing that sort of MarTech assessment, seeing where they are in regards to personalization, their maturity of that. Then we've got a strategic group. And then there's, of course, delivery. Where I get concerned is when clients just want to talk about the delivery of the technology, because then you're actually having a discussion about the practitioners in the administration screens, looking at that data. Um, Now, they may or may not be trained in marketing, and that is a problem. That is a real problem because you're building segments, you're building experiences. What are they trained in then, Adam? Well, they're trained in the tools and they're, and you know, we have that. Not a marketing mindset then, is that what you're saying? Oh, or, look, I or mean. customer mindset. We, not so much at the moment. You know, you're going to have, you, it's, it's a bit split and delivery, you do need uh, both the sort of DevOps all the way up to the practitioners of the, of the tools themselves. But generally, they don't come from a marketing heritage. They've come from a technology heritage. I'm going to get to John in a minute because he does have some thoughts on the efficacy of personalization. Roger, the the, the, the stuff that um, the points that Adam is making around uh, the new capabilities that agency groups are trying to develop, WPP is one of them. All the holding companies are all racing that way, right? So they're not alone. But you, what are you using your agency partners for now? Then, what does the tech, your tech partners, your vendors do? What does your agency partners do and what do you do inside? Where, how's the mix of all that? The mix is working really well now. 
And um, we, we ended up discussing where the, the business as a brand needed to be. And I think one of the, one of the key was uh, there's a branding job and then there's the personalization of that. So uh, our vendors, uh, our supporters, our partners are actually part of my, my partnership ecosystem now. And we have, we have weekly stand-ups. We have um, early quarter meetings where it's, it's looking at performance from the last quarter and then what do we need to go into this quarter with. I'm transparent around my um, performance objectives and what we're required. And, and that level of transparency has built a high degree of investment in a, in a far more strategic, functional, operational rather than just technology level from, from, um, from our partners, from our implementation partners, but also from, uh, you know, I guess you could say our media partners as well, our creative partners. And that's meant that we're able to move very quickly and on the things that work, dispense with the things that don't work as quite as well as we had hoped, but also everyone's accountable for the same target. So I'm not just saying, uh, I, you know, I've spent a million dollars a year with this particular agency. Did I get value on that at the end of the year? That's not fair. So we look at how we're going to plan that for the entire year and um, um, putting new campaigns into market, being very clear around those expectations. So to try and answer your question in a simplistic way, if you don't have that level of transparency and the ability to talk at that degree with your partners across that ecosystem, and it might be different for other businesses, how can you expect to be successful? I think you found that the level of sophistication you were looking for from your broader pool of agency partners before the great cull, if we can call it that, yeah. that wasn't there the, no. amongst some of those partners. So what was missing and who did you end up with? So I think, and, and we're going back about two years, so I started this program of work two years ago, um, and we're still not, we're still not um, running at 100%, but we're far better than we were. Um, we're, we're now down to uh, working with Amicus, who runs um, almost all of the Salesforce technology, um, Accordant, who runs our Adobe technology. We work with Mullen Lowe, who are our creative, in inverted commas, I guess you could say, digital agency. And and that's fundamentally it. There's a little bit of um, spark from publicists in, there, uh, publicists in there around our media buying. And when we have meetings around what we're doing, it's never one-on-one. If I'm talking to Mullen Lowe and Amicus or Accordant are not in the room, what's the point? So every time, like at an execution level, absolutely they do very different things. But when we're discussing what we need to do for the month around a, a, um, putting a campaign into market or pivoting from one or another. You know, we have RBA making rate cuts, so we do have to be able to pivot and, and, and make changes very quickly. We have DDO coming up, you know, design distribution obligations. And this is target, part of this is out of the Royal Commission. This is out of the Royal Commission. And, you know, again, back to, uh, back to uh, our friend here at Gartner, uh, I'd love to have a, a discussion with him about that because that presupposes we have to be personalised in order to be able to, declare our target market for a particular product we're about to put in marketplace. And then we've got the ASIC guidelines, 249, 239. Um, so what I did is I had all... 447. All, so, and, and, well, and there's 447. There's a few of them around there. Um, that was a joke if anyone I takes know. me seriously. No one, no one here is taking you. Oh, John, <laughs> John might be. But the nice. point is, is that I handed the, I, I asked them all to read the guidelines because those are the, that's my rule book. Yeah. And unless you're on the same page, how can you help me be successful? So what are you doing internally uh, and what do you look to um, your partners and, and what other companies are looking to WPP and, and Dentsu and um, publicists and so on? What are you doing internally and will that shift? And I think Adam made a really good point. There, there, we are evolving into there are going to be aspects of a hybrid 
um, who understands personalization, understands the tools and has a marketing mindset. But I still think that collaboration across the customer, that single customer view, and that's not uh, an entire view. I really don't need to know everything about you, Paul, as much as I think that we are friends, but I don't care about your shoe size, but I do care about what's in your wallet. So when I talk about single customer view, how do we consume and work with data? So technology. So we have, we have um, again, it's, it's a common phrase at the moment, but um, we do use it to anchor what we do internally around collaboration, and this is Agile Frameworks. And making sure that if we're talking about personalization, we have someone from data and also our internal technology and systems engineer there, right? Because if we need to get the data out of a out of a database and we need to move it somewhere else, we still need those systems engineers to connect it. And if we need to do this personalization piece, we need to have our agency at the same table to say, you don't need poor shoe size, but what you do need to know is what car he drives. This is where we might get technical for a moment. Uh, John Bradshaw, you have done some um, deep dives into some of the into some of the the research work that's out there, academic and, and technical. You, you're, you're sort of on the on the fence on on the efficacy of personalization in some in some aspects, going right back to the start of the conversation. But what is the effectiveness that you've seen for personalization of this of this research? Well, let's start by thinking about the marketing task with a little bit more granularity and still dumbing it down too far, right? But let's talk about the difference between talking to and managing existing customers where we've got first-party data and what we're trying to do is make a frictionless but sticky experience for them. Personalization, personalization has been in that bit of the job forever. We've now just got incredibly fancy tools to do it. So let's just agree that it's good when we're trying to manage customer experience. And, and I think where it's complicated and grey and harder to understand and where there is research, but I certainly wouldn't call it a comprehensive body of, like, you know, of agreed science, is where we're talking about brand building or creating mental availability with a large number of potential shoppers and consumers who aren't quite ready to buy yet. And then the sales activation bit of that job, which is trying to trigger a piece of behaviour now. What's clear from the research that I've read so far, and it's from good reputable sources, so like big academic houses with, you know, with good sized studies, is it's really hard to make any type of personalization work for the brand building job. Brand building works by looking big, feeling mass, demographic targeting even doesn't seem to work. You can get a little bit more attention if you target me demographically, but I then pay attention to the bits that are about me, not the bits that are about the brand, so I forget who the bloody ad was from, as always, with kind of brand advertising, that becomes a challenge. So personalizing brand work, I can see no evidence in the day to suggest that's that's good. When we get to sales activation work, it's where it gets a bit grayer, right? There's a whole bunch of issues with trying to trigger the sale. And I understand why, in theory, communications professionals are enchanted with the idea that if I serve you a more personalized message when I want you to do something immediately... Surely that would work. It's a very beguiling thought, that, right? And the answer is sometimes it does for some types of personalization. So um, the thing that seems to really make the difference is this thing called motive congruence, right? Now, you are going to tell us what the hell that is. If you serve me an ad for your brand at a moment in time where I am actively looking to shop or buy in that category then you'll, you will at least see, according to research, a significant uptick in click-through rate. And then I think the conversion of that click-through is dependent on factors not, that are not to do with personalization. But at least I got you where I wanted to get you through by personalization. 
if you then serve me that same ad 24 hours later when I'm looking for cat videos, like, and I'm not motive congruent, I'm not shopping in your category, then nothing happens. If you then serve me that ad on a different platform, so let's come out of my web browser and into Facebook, and I see that you've somehow managed to follow me around the internet into a different place. Can't imagine that would happen. Then I think you're creepy, and I actively start to do like you know, negative behaviors rather than, rather, than neutral, rather than neutral behaviors. So where we use personalization to understand context, I, I am ready to shop what should I buy now? And we serve them communication messages that help make the shopping thing easier by going, I'm a big brand, you should trust me. Then personalization can help. When you address that thing to, hey, John, I see you're a 52-year-old white male. Perhaps you'd like to buy my soap powder. That stuff doesn't work. Or, or at least I can find no evidence in the data to suggest that that type of stuff works. And certainly if you're just... Hey John, I'm I'm a delicious chocolate bar. At some point, when you want a chocolate bar, I'm the chocolate bar you should think of. There's absolutely no need to invest massive. In fact, there's lots of good evidence to suggest that making that feel personalised is going to make that worse. Well, Adam, you're in a, you're in a classic group that does brand comms and a whole bunch of communication stuff. Uh, how does that fit with what you're saying or doing? I would challenge it again around brand as a definition. I, I look, I've been in the game a long time, and I think when people talk about brand now, I I feel we can sound a little bit dusty, to be honest, because at the moment when you look at personalization, I think that is an extremely relevant technique and use it. But then as it comes towards the brand itself, add a little bit of customization options for that, for that consumer to be able to feel empowered with that brand. And I think you will get brand lift. lift. The, the Gardner research, which I do agree, is that clients are having a hard time with technology. This has been about a four or five year cycle of taking on a lot of technology internally. Uh, it was once in the IT departments, those budgets are now shift into the marketing departments. They're looking at their big budgets saying, well, I've got to make some choices here. I've got renewable licenses. My stack looks a little bit complicated. That's what my job is every day. I, I'm seeing CMOs saying, you know, what do I need to do to change? Because some things I'm doing seems like what I've always done. And that concerns me. I do need to have a different model now. I'm, I'm taking on some of the responsibilities internally for the customer lifetime value, which is in, important. But then I've got to work with some partners to help me uh, improve an outcome. And, um, and so, yeah, getting this, getting back to this personalization and a little bit of customization, I think that that seems to be a, a really interesting uh, trend that can come out of this, I think. And that's not saying reducing your technology. It's just saying you use technology where it's extremely important and but then work with marketers to understand what you're trying to achieve. What do you think of John's uh, theory on this, Roger, about where personalization is good and, and works and doesn't? The, the great thing about John's theory is that it's grounded some pretty good science and uh, there's some really good research that actually supports it. And I think this is part of what um, Adam's just alluded to. There is, there is now a massive shift. And um, that, that's going to require marketers to actually, you know, really think about the role they're doing and the data points and the data sources and actually looking at really good science that's out there, but also convert that into actionable um, uh, activities, right, and an optimization, execution, all those wonderful things. But I do want to touch on why I think that shift is now taking place. And again, we've been giving, you know, the Gartner guys a, a bit of a hard time right now and because we've honed in on the one word. 
But when you start lobbying in other words like relevance and context, you start bringing in other words around environmental influences and factors that are actually happening around us. If we go back to the original definition and the requirement of what marketing was supposed to be doing and is now struggling to do because we're getting, sorry, supposed to be doing around marketing and the brand and the personalization and the relationship between the two and then how you drive that forward, we've had all of this complexity introduced into it. And we've been told that if you don't um, have this 360 degree single customer view, which means you've got to consume all of this massive data, then we figured out we need to put that data somewhere and our current on-premise services weren't going to do it. We had to go to the cloud. So everything around us as marketers shifted without our ability to be able to sift through what we were being told we needed to do to be able to drive that forward. So I think, you know, John's touched on on, on a great evolution of how we're going to use science and, and information and data. And again, you know, I support um, a lot of what Adam's saying. And, and, you know, we've seen these stats come out, you know, Paul, that 70% of customers expect a connected process that helps deliver relevant personalized experiences. To John's point, if I'm watching cat videos, I will absolutely not show them a, a, a bank ad. Why would I do that? They're looking at cat videos. You know, the best place, the best ad contextually that's relevant to that particular experience would probably be cat food, you know? And um, this is, again, why we don't tend to use Facebook a lot, if at all, um, and why I have a really interesting relationship with Google and some of the challenges I face with the affiliates and the aggregators because they're still you know, spamming, for want of a better way to put it, my message, which means that I'm diluting my ability to be personalized and relevant and I'm losing the context, which makes Adam's job a lot harder. So as marketers, let's take a step back. It doesn't mean we're going to disinvest in personalization. Absolutely not. We just need help getting it better. John Bradshaw. I just find this really interesting that here we are in a conversation about one of the things that's most current and kind of like on the edge of our discipline, and we end up back here again, which is marketers need to understand strategy and the fundamentals, and that's what's missing in our kind of market base at the moment, and we're chasing tech, personalization, and stacks, and trying to work out how to use that stuff without understanding what that stuff is for. And this whole debate centers on the, we don't know what the stuff is for, and therefore we're, we're applying it. $63 $63 billion is going to be spent on ad tech and martech in Australia in 2020-2021. billion. Which if you think about that, if you took a five-year, like incredibly simple blunt math kind of rate of return, that needs $10 billion worth of incremental profit needs to be generated from that next year. And that's where whatever the rights or wrongs of Gartner's 80% cuts there's going to come a reckoning, people, because we're spending money because the social norming of this says I need to be spending money on technology. And you're of the view there, John, that you think the 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 bull run that technology vendors have had is coming to an end because of that? Is that what you think? I would like to think so. Sorry, tech vendors, I realise that's bad bad news for you, but I never underestimate the power of a trend and the and the need for people to jump on bandwagons. Like that's that's another society we're living in at the moment. But an upside. Let's go go back to toilet paper (laughs) and just work out just how much we're still a herd animal that kind of follows the. um, So the evidence would suggest a a a rebalancing of this stuff, but whether that happens or not, look completely a rebalancing. So no, you're you're right, and and because I I think Adam's got a really interesting point of view. 
Yes, there's going to be a rebalancing. Yes, there's going to be a reckoning. But it's a massive opportunity for these vendors. And something that I've talked about um, before is let me have a relationship with you, Salesforce or Adobe, that's performance-based. And, you know, my... Not, I, a, not a, a monthly subscription not, or licensing fee. Yeah, not a monthly subscription. Ooh, what well, do they have, say to that? Well, you know, it's interesting. And, and, and it hasn't fallen on deaf ears, but because what I have done in and around that and, and predominantly with Salesforce and the guys at Amicus is put the asset guidelines on the table and saying, here's my re- rule book. So how do I perform within this and how do I make uh, myself a successful business and, and deliver to the brand values and the customer values? But within that, I can't... Uh, I, I would rather pay you $5,000 or $4,000 for an investment customer than try and run an ROI for some form of CPA and CPL, right? In terms of analytics and programmatic advertising. Cost per acquisition and cost, cost per, per uh, cost per lead. Lead. So so internally we pay our RMs and we pay our, you know our personal bankers quite high in inverted commas. So you know this is this is just to illustrate the process that we're now going through. A commission, right? Or they're incentivized on, on, on a customer that pays us an investment. So why don't I push that back to my vendors as well? And actually say, rather than just paying you 20 grand a month, I will, I'll, I'll, I'll be happy paying you 20 times that if we can get the technology to help me do my job better and perform better. Yeah. Look, I mean, from the technology point of view, I, what will happen is the clients have got a lot of Ferraris in, in garages at the moment. They're, they're amazing tools, absolutely amazing. And um, you look at them and you see Ferrari 1, 2 and 3 and 4 and they, they drive them. And so what we have... In fight, first. <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. Um, and we're the coach. And so we take, a look at the, we take a look at the kit and what they've got and we'll drive it around the corners for them and show them what you can do with it. But that ultimately they're their tools and we step out of the car and we say we're ha- we're happy to be the pit crew and we're happy to sit around here and work out on your marketing strategy. And we're not quite sure why you've got four cars, but that's your provocative and, you know, we'll help you through that. And they have to make some choices internally on, on each of their selections that they've made over the last few years to determine which ones that they might decommission and which ones they might want to continue to improve. That's not, that's never going to be the agency decision. We don't need to, to make that decision. We just want to be the coach. From time to time, we'll be the driver and we, we really enjoy that because we've had been the driver before because we've got a lot of technology back at our agencies in media. We've been doing that for a tremendous amount of time and then in even in the creative agencies. Yeah, although I think I think the big shift, to Adam, with the groups that like like WP and, and, and the rest, the holding companies, is that they have been communications focused and the sort of personalization that we're talking about goes beyond comms to customer experience and through the through the organized client organization to all the touch points that Roger talked. So that's quite a, a broader brief. We are um, uh, in our wrap-up. Um, I just want to get everyone's thoughts on, uh, and I'll start with Roger because you're at the front end of this, um, does the regulatory regime that's happening now around the world, whether it be California, whether it be GDPR in Europe, what's coming uh, here with the ACCC, does that start to uh, uh, crimp or affect what you can do with personalization? Does that represent a, a whole new round of rediscovery of what can and can't be done and what works? Well, clearly it's going to be a rediscovery of what can and can't be done and how we declare it and manage it and then be held accountable for it. So um, does it, does it, is it crimping and constraining what we do now? Absolutely it is. Uh, but what it's forcing us... How at, significantly? Well, it's it's going to be very significant in the sense that if we get it wrong, we will be held accountable in a court of law. Whereas in the past, it's been touted as a bad customer experience. 
and one bad customer experience tends, talks to 10. You know, we're in a country of 24 million people and generally marketers will sit and look at that stand and go, ah, I'm not going to worry about it. Um, so we are going to absolutely be held accountable at a, at a legislative and a litigious manner. So that means we have to focus a lot more on getting it right. The great thing is, is we have the rule book. So there's no ambiguity. So we actually know what we're being asked to do. We've been, we've been given plenty of time. Well, we've been given some time, uh, 2021, to get it right. This is financial services. Financial services for our um, design and distribution obligations around target market determination. So we are going to have to declare in a public forum the target market for products and services. And that can be interrogated and also litigated by both the customers but also the industry watchdogs as well. So, But in that... To uh, John's point, it's going to force us to be a lot more considered around a, a product development, but also how we advertise and personalize and making sure we get the context and the relevancy right, because we're going to be held to account for it. Adam, good uh, regulatory regime. Uh, any pressures, changes? I think there'll be changes, but uh, you know, I think it's. I support it actually. I mean, I, I think the focus on on first party data is is well overdue. Well, overdue. Uh, um, I think that gives us uh, the opportunity to to reassess a number of different ways and, and techniques that we've been doing. And again, back to the Gartner report, technology is difficult. You need to determine which what you're going to drop um, instead of just continue launching rockets into into space and not pulling them down. So, um, you know, I think it's a I think it's a really good thing. It's challenging, no doubt, when you when you're looking at second and third party. Um, but the focus right now is on, on first party. So that's where we're really pivoting our business to to go in through the centre of expertise and, and, and focus in that area. The reckoning is going to come for those benign or arbitrary aggregators and affiliates and Facebooks and Google where we have determined our target market but because the Googles and the Facebooks and the aggregators don't pass any data back, I don't know where it goes. And if I get it wrong... I'm the guy in court, not them. So there's a big reckoning coming in that space. Well, I'd certainly like to uh, pursue that one, given my disposition on a couple of the tech platforms. John Bradshaw, wrap up from you on the regulatory... Are you declaring a bias there, McIntyre? I, th- I thought you were the neutral in this. I'm transparent. <laughs> I think there's some challenges and issues there. I want to talk to Roger about them next time. Your sense on the regulatory regime, what it does? Yeah, no question. Regulatory regime is making changes across the board. It's a kind of big obligation on first-party data for those who have... Um, lots of those. I think it's interesting in second and third party data because that's, for me, where all of this grey is in terms of how does that work and how doesn't it work and is it, am I right about context and relevance or is someone going to appear tomorrow and show me that demographic targeting is a, you know, is effective because the the studies are not enough. I mostly think it's going to suppress that stuff and I think mostly that stuff getting suppressed isn't a bad thing for our industry. Um, and if we go back to just trying to serve the right ad for the right product in the right moment to people that we know are shopping for it and stop trying to work out what their politics, religion and inside lag measurement are, that's better for marketing, I think. So if we just get regulated a little bit out of that, it's painful for a bunch of people who've built businesses around that, but it's probably better yeah, for and we did get And we did get a bit carried away as an industry on some of that granularity that we don't need to your point, oh, Roger. Yeah. yeah, totally. And and also it means that we don't – a point that John raised earlier on is that we no longer feel we have to get creepy to get it right. Sooner we all hear the message that creepy actually works against you and just stop doing that. It's like it, That's not a ethical thing. That's a return on investment thing. I, it would be good to get Gartner on 
because I think the great thing that this is doing is stimulating debate. Now, if that's what they wanted to do, that's great. I'd like to have a chat to the guy from the ex guy from McDonald's as well, right? About the money that he he feels he's wasted, um, because that that's his responsibility, not the tech vendor's responsibility. Oh, this is Group M, Mark Lolbeck, your colleague, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, because I think that being controversial is great, stimulating discussion is is good, but I think in in terms of something you and I have talked about, Paul, is that you know, as marketers, we need help. We're being forced to not be isolated anymore, but we also don't necessarily have all the skills and, and to think we're going to get it right all the time is actually wrong. So, yeah, I think Get the Gardener guys, I think it would be a really good debate to actually then figure out what to next rather than just letting the hand grenade go off. Uh, gents, thanks for joining. Great conversation. I think um, to Roger's point, taking the discussion and understanding on a little bit and much more to come. So let's loop around in, in, in coming weeks. Thanks for joining. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre, that's moi, in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.